Recently, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson took a quick trip to space. Could their short jaunt to low Earth orbit be an early indicator of what's to come and how an entirely new space tourism industry will develop and evolve? While it may seem like the stuff of sci-fi movies, the billionaire rocket ship space race actually has serious implications for the future of space tourism, almost analogous to the ways in which Bill Boeing and Donald Douglas were determined to use the airplane to move humans and cargo around the globe. Could it be the case that as time goes on, the cost and complexity of space travel will be reduced enough such that a moon vacation is within financial reach for the masses? Welcome to the IQT Podcast. Today's episode is part two of a three-part series where we will explore the past, present, and future of space and how IQT's investments and insights have helped advise and shape the technology to help enhance national security. On last week's episode, we discussed the past, and today, we'll focus on the present. I'm your host, Vishal Sandesera, and joining me today are two of my colleagues here at IQT. Christy Bradford is a senior technology architect on IQT's field technologies team. She is a space technology strategist with experience working across the civil, commercial, national security, and international space communities in areas as diverse as technology development, program management, space innovation policy, and the global space investment landscape. She holds an undergraduate degree in astrophysics and earth and planetary science from Harvard University, a master's degree in exploration systems design from Arizona State University, and is wrapping up another master's degree in international science and technology policy from George Washington University. Also joining me today, Kevin Schaefer, Vice President of Technology on InQtel's Field Technologies team. Kevin has over a decade of experience in the aerospace industry. He started as a structural analyst for Earth and Deep Space Science missions for orbital sciences, then transitioned to advanced telescope and sensor development as a contract worker at the NRO. Kevin has been at IQT for five years. Welcome, Christy. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So let's just dive right into it. Uh, you know, we're talking about the present today. This is a two-part, this is the second of a three-part series. We're, we're all going to talk about the present. Why is it that InQtel, from, from what you've seen and what you've all spent your time doing, why is it that InQtel continues to dedicate resources to space? What are, what are some of the important circumstances or reasons that necessitate that this continues to be an important area of focus for, for InQtel and for both of you and your colleagues to focus in? Well, what I would say is that one of the major things that, that we do at InQtel is we look at what's happening in the commercial sector. And space is an area that is continuing to attract record uh, amounts of investment. And that means that there is uh, innovation being driven in the space sector uh, that's continuing uh, well beyond you know when IQT first started uh, investing in space. And I think right now we're at a really interesting inflection point as well, where the original drivers that brought in this initial investment uh, are still uh, major players in the overall ecosystem, but we're starting to get new entrants uh, that are uh, creating an even more robust ecosystem uh, in space uh, that is going to, to really um, change the entire uh, landscape in the long run. I think there's a, a couple important points there. The first thing is when you ask why do we continue to look at something, it's a more of a broader question for InQtel writ large. When we focus on a given technology area, we usually come up with a thesis. As Dave and Tom likely discussed in the, the past discussion, you know, we had an idea that there was an opportunity in the startup ecosystem to supplement the technologies available within the space world. And what we've really seen the past five years is we we're actually correct in that regard. We have seen a transition of these technologies on orbit, which is a huge first step for any space company. And then additionally, we're starting to see tangential industries go off of this. So 
why we're still monitoring is we want to make our next prediction of where we see the industry going from here. That's really interesting. So it sounds as though you know, perhaps a number of years ago, Qtel made a bet that, hey, there's, there's likely going to be a large ecosystem here. Where we should start sort of having understanding and a thesis around how we want to get involved and what, where we want to focus our energy and attention. Uh, and likely that thesis has evolved a little bit, but the hypothesis largely has remained true. This is an interesting and frothy area, uh, both for, in terms of capabilities development as well as, as, as money and financial uh, returns go, as you've all touched on. Let, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the, you know, the, the present, the, the reason we're here today, the current landscape. Um, what is it that's important about the way that the industry has shaped up uh, in, in current context? And how is it different, perhaps, from what you all have seen, uh, you know, uh, in the past, without getting too much into the past, since clearly we have a, a separate podcast recording for that, what is it that's important to mention when it comes to the current context and how it may be different or, or perhaps evolved? I'll go ahead and start there, so and then I'll give it over to Christy. But quickly to touch on the past, the simple question in the past was, can it be done? And we've answered that question time and time again. So now that we've gotten past, can it be done? Can one of these companies operate a satellite? on more limited budgets than we're used to, the question becomes what and how. So that's what we're looking at today. What are the new sensing modalities they can offer? How are they going to do that? And what are the other industries that are going to enable that kind of technology transition? Yeah, I would add to that that uh, there's there's really two things that, that I see coming out of it. One is that now that, that the, the basics have been proven out, we're starting to see uh, you know more complex uh, approaches and uh, Kevin's point about uh, sensing modalities, we're starting to see more complex sensing modalities uh, uh, reach orbit um, from companies that uh, are sort of following in the path of, of the very first companies that put the simplest sensors on there on, on orbit as possible uh, to just prove out that, that commercial companies could could do uh, could do this and do it successfully. And then I think the, the second uh, piece is that as more and more satellites are getting launched by these commercial firms, it's changing the space environment in such a way that there's now a whole new ecosystem that's developing around how do we make sure that uh, space remains a sustainable environment and how do we make sure that all of uh, these new space actors can be working together in a uh, cohesive uh, environment that uh, works for all actors. We yeah, just real quick, Michelle, on the, the sensing modalities points, just to kind of hammer it home. What we're talking about there is I'm sure everybody's familiar with the simple picture, but the types of pictures you can basically capture from space go far beyond that. We're talking about in the IR spectrum, the hyperspectral uh, spectrum. And really what we like to see is, it is, is it possible to do that in the satellite form factor? So that's really what we're focusing on today, pushing the envelope of those data products that are available. We talked a lot about resilience. I, I recall both you, uh, both you, and also the, the the speakers that we have for the sort of the past, and I assume that the future. We'll talk a lot about this concept of resilience, an important concept when when considering something as mission critical as, as space travel. How do you how do you both think through resilience when it comes to the present context of space? For example, in the context of investments or the way that we think through technology and the way it may evolve, how does resilience play a role uh, in how your optic is scoped around where to check for? built-in capability, where capability might be needed, or where evolution needs to take place in the industry? Yeah, I, I would say that there's many, many different ways to, to think about resilience, and it's important to think about resilience in all of those different ways. Um, a few of the ways that we think about it here at IQT is uh, one way is by uh, helping our government partners leverage commercial technologies, it makes their supply chain more resilient because their suppliers are no longer entirely reliant on, on the government because 
there's also um, these commercial markets that these companies uh, are working with and um, supplying to as well. So there's a resilience aspect there. There's also the uh, idea that you know, when we are looking at a given space, uh, with space technology being a prime example, uh, we aren't necessarily going to uh, you know, uh, place bets in, in just one company and rely on just one company. We want to have a portfolio approach so that uh, if one company were to ever go under, uh, there's still other companies out there that can fulfill uh, the needs of, of the market, whether it's the commercial market or the government market. And so uh, making sure that it, there's no single point of failure, both from a technology perspective as well as from a business perspective, is uh, really key to how we at IQT think about resilience. Yeah, and there's, there's a couple of reasons uh, it's extremely important. The first is probably foremost, it's difficult to get things in the space. So usually you're only getting one chance to do it. So the more you can have, the better. The second thing to point out is that a traditional satellite in a, a LEO that's a low Earth orbit is only going to hit um, a commonplace on Earth once every 90 minutes. And that's actually transitioning depending on the orbit. So as you get, you know, one to many of those systems, you're not relying on that single system where something goes poorly, you know, you're out of uh, operation for a while. And then the last thing in terms of supporting the ecosystem, another angle of resilience is the launch. Launch vehicles get delayed all the time. That's your ride into space. So it's, it's great to have more and more of those as a backup or even tertiary option such that a company um, who's, you know, budget constrained is not relying on a single system that will ultimately determine the fate of their business. When it comes to national security, what are your thoughts on which of these parts of the industry that you that we're that we're describing are most important or pertinent uh, to topics or, or or circumstances related to national security? I, I mean, I guess I would say all of them are to some extent. Um, I think it really def depends on how narrow of a definition of national security you're taking, um, and I think you can look at it from the perspective of you know space technologies are, are generally dual use technologies, and so. There are national security applications, but I also think that it's important to think about it from the perspective of uh, ensuring that uh, we have a uh, economically competitive uh, space com commercial space ecosystem is also really important and and part of I think the larger uh, national security perspective. And then then one other point there. So there's the use of these systems, which are great supplemental tools to what the government may develop on their own. But there's a huge awareness angle that's important for national security. So if we develop a technology and another country develops the technology, you can kind of connect the dots to see what other parts of the world are going to be able to do that. And once that happens, that's a huge intelligent aspect of your national security um, kind of apparatus. We, we talked about this a little earlier. Uh, I'll, I'll sort of footstop it a little further. And let's see if we can talk about it a little bit more. Space is not simply uh, a satellite floating around taking some pictures, just as Kevin, you've mentioned. Both of you spent a lot of time looking into all the complexities of this topic, um, things like backend architecture, uh, the ways in which we access space, constellation management, for example. Can you talk to us a little bit about just how you think through the entirety of the ecosystem and where InQtel um, you know, is applying a lot of its resources or is looking into uh, the, the architecture to say, hey, this is an area where we should focus on when it comes to investments or uh, improving upon commercial products, for example. Absolutely. Um, we we use an architectural approach when we're thinking about a given technology landscape. And the current iteration of our uh, space technology architecture is very much built around the why do you go to space in the first place? 
And we definitely, because of what we're seeing in the commercial market as well as what our government partners care about, you know, we definitely uh, think a lot about the connectivity piece of why you go to space and the earth sensing piece. But in addition, there's so many other reasons why you might go to space. Um, things like position, navigation, and timing, uh, the advantage, uh, advantages of manufacturing things in a microgravity environment, uh, science, uh, human spaceflight, uh, R&D. Um, and so we look at this entire landscape of, you know, why do, you, why do we go to space in the first place? And in some cases, there are companies devoted to that exact why. But, in, uh, but there's also an entire ecosystem around the why. And so we also think about uh, what's happening in, in these uh, other areas that are supporting the why we go to space. And those are things like access to space, uh, launch being a core piece of access to space, things like constellation management, and in particular, space traffic management at a more holistic level. Uh, things like a data backhaul, as well as uh, you know data handling techniques and data processing techniques. And then, of course, you also have a set of enablers uh, for um, that are going to have a cross-cutting impact across all of these other areas. And so we uh, we view it as you know what companies are focusing on the why versus what companies are uh, focused on these these support functions. Um, and I would also say we do look some at the divide between the ground segment and the space segment of what uh, aspects of these support functions are specifically on the ground or specifically in space. But what we've been observing over time is that more and more things cannot be easily placed on purely the ground segment or purely the space segment. And so uh, more and more functions that are supporting the why you go to space are cross-cutting and uh, the, the architectures of those systems um, transcend the division between ground and space. Christy really jumped around to quite a few technology areas there, and there's an important reason for why we look at it that way, and additionally why we will deploy capital that way as well. So Incutella's unique role is kind of being the one of the stamps of approval of where things are important to the government, and we like to be a little bit prescient in that regard. So if we focus all of our investment activity in a given technology area, that might be a signal to the industry that that's the only area that should be focused on. But if we spread bets around all over the place, these key enabling technology and supporting technology areas, what that does is keeps a healthy ecosystem moving along, hopefully attracts some other investors. Um, there's lots of knowledge networks that come along with that as well, such that five to 10 years from now, those areas we identified um, will come to full fruition. So I like this concept uh, of sort of the five to 10 year optic. Um, at the top of our recording, uh, I made a playful remark uh, around, you know, billionaire space race and sort of this, uh, this hopefully what we'll find to be the reduction of complexity and costs associated with, with space tourism, but just access to space and then everything that comes after it. Uh, how truthful do you think that is within that time frame? How, in other words, in five to 10 years, do you, do you sort of see the, the analogous uh, thing that we always see in technology, uh, more access, less cost, less complexity, or do you think space is different for, or, or special in some way where perhaps there's a longer timeline or maybe it'll just never be as ubiquitous as, as a lot of the other technologies uh, as they evolve become? Well, there's, there's, there's definitely longer timelines. I, I think people know that getting to space is hard, but I think a lot of times it's, it's lost how difficult it actually is. The technologies used take years of development timelines. The components available aren't the same components available for terrestrial applications. That being said, uh, there is a lot of movement and probably more importantly, there's a lot of still investment in it. 
it's still kind of focused on a few large players that you alluded to. So really it's a, a matter of if there are businesses that are going to attract additional money or if it's more of the kind of, uh, I don't know the term for it, but philanthropic space uh, expeditions that we see seen to date. So I don't, I don't want, I wouldn't want to say it's a guarantee. I'd be interested to see, you know, Christie's opinion on this, but I think it's going to, it's going to move along probably at a slower timeline that you might be seeing in the news. Yeah, I would add to that, that um, sort of on the idea of, you know, is space special? There's definitely things that make space unique. However, I think we need to uh, address the fact that space isn't special. Like it, it still is uh, governed by the laws of physics. Um, it's still uh, the economic realities of building businesses still apply to space. And so I think uh, space is, is something that can generate a ton of excitement in a way that other things can't. And that's one of the unique aspects of space. But we need to not uh, confuse excitement or hype for progress. And so I agree with Kevin that I think that a lot, oftentimes the, the timelines that are put out there for, you know, when we'll have a permanent presence on the moon and when, you know, we'll be leveraging things like space resources. Oftentimes we may have a very optimistic outlook on that uh, and that that you know, what you read in the news might be very, very optimistic. And when you look at the realities of just how long it takes to for new markets to, to evolve, whether you're talking about space or whether you're talking about non-space markets, it's, it's a slow process. The, the technology diffusion process is a slow process. Um, and so I think we have to be realistic that you know, we're probably not going to be uh, you know, uh, mining Mars in five years. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's what I would say is that I think things like space tourism is showing that that things are, are changing and our new markets are, are starting to, to open up and to, to grow. Um, but in terms of when we reach, uh, you know, grand visions of, of what the world could be, I, I think we still have a ways to go. And that's just simply because of the, you know, economic, political, social realities of um, how the world works. That's why as I take that. that, that makes sense to me. Let me ask you both in your, in your own experiences, I think you tell, what are some of the current focus areas? Uh, you know, we talked about the sort of this, the, the architecture that you use to think through and parse the, the ecosystem uh, and focus on particular areas, perhaps of where, where we should deploy capital. For each of you, just more sort of, more so on a personal level, what, are there any parts of those, uh, are, are there, is there any part of that architecture that you're most interested in or that you're focused in right now or placing any big bets on? I would say the, the two areas where I'm particularly focused right now is on remote sensing and uh, advanced sensor modalities, and then on uh, what we at IQT call space auxiliary services, uh, which is those uh, areas that become more important as more and more satellites uh, get on orbit. So those are things like space traffic management, uh, satellite servicing, in-space data handling, and um, eventually space resources and in-space manufacturing. Uh, and that is a topic that I think we'll discuss in a lot more detail on the uh, next episode of this podcast. Christy, just for our listeners, a quick definition on remote sensing in case uh, people are unfamiliar. Remote sensing can be defined as being able to uh, uh, characterize something from a distance using the light that is either reflected or emitted from whatever it is you're looking at. Understood. Kevin, same question to you. Areas of focus, uh, interest, or, or big bets? Well, kind of addresses all the above, but I'm probably most excited about the alternative communication techniques that are, are coming online. 
So the traditional way of doing things in the past with a, was a large satellite and a geo orbit. That's the, the higher elevation orbit that remains fixed as their uh, orbits as well. And then you have the terrestrial analog that we've had the development of the you know 2G to 3G to 4G to 5G networks. And really what I see happening in the next decade is there's a lot of uh, alternatives to those types of communication techniques. So you may have heard of the Starlink constellation from SpaceX, that's uh, communications uh, network in LEO that will provide constant connectivity uh, to remote locations on Earth. There's some additional companies that are targeting more um, kind of small communications packet in the text message side for IoT devices. But really, as we build out the next you know, five, 10 years, what I think is going to happen is you're going to have a menu of options depending on your application. So this is important because it's going to enable all sorts of other uh, you know, additional businesses, whether it's the autonomous vehicle, drone delivery world, or communication connection is a constant enduring need. So it's great to see there's new lower cost ways of doing things that are also additionally accessing remote parts of the earth. That's exciting. Um, for the curious listener, uh, Christy and Kevin, open question to either of you, where would you point someone who say wanted to learn a little bit more about the current state of affairs, uh, not just in space tourism, but just space in general? People are curious, are there any particular, uh, aside from our own, uh, blogs or resources that you'd recommend or books? Uh, that's that's a tough one because it really very much depends on uh, the audience. Um, I I would probably say that if, if you just want a good primer on on space and, uh, you know, how to think about developing and, and operating something in space and what are some of the, the policy and legal challenges as well, um, I would actually recommend the uh, handbook for new space actors that was put out a few years ago by the Secure World Foundation. Um, I think that's a really good uh, primer for, for folks that are new to space that, you know, potentially want to get into the industry. Uh, but I think for a more uh, casual um, interest in space, uh, I would say continue to, to follow what you're seeing in, in the news. Uh, you know, there's also some more uh, um, targeted uh, uh, news sources for space. Um, so, you know, Ars Technica does uh, really good coverage of space. Um, there's some interesting things on TechCrunch uh, that come up all around space. Um, space News is a great, great outlet. Um, but I would just say, you know, as you're looking at what's being said in the news around space, always take it with a grain of salt uh, because it can, it's an area that can uh, uh, generate a lot of excitement uh, that, and sometimes that excitement moves quicker than uh, the reality of uh, technology development. Fair enough. Yeah. Christy mentioned some uh, great online resources there. I would follow up that. Interestingly enough, the, both the space media world, the space enthusiast world is very well connected on Twitter. So it's really as simple as when you see something in the news that's of interest, you do a quick search and pretty quickly build out the important people connected to those stories. And you'll find all sorts of additional stories that way. And you'll never be out of the, the loop on what's going on in space if you give those people a follow. That's great. Thank you. One last question before before we uh, end our conversation. Uh, we spent a lot of time today talking about not only your own, but, you know, InQtel's interest uh, in the current context uh, in, in, in space. Uh, are there other organizations or other countries, perhaps, that uh, are worthy of mention in, in terms of interest, dollars, uh, or excitement or hype? Uh, in other words, what does the landscape perhaps globally look like uh, to sort of stretch out a pun? What, what, what is it that... Uh, how is the rest of the universe thinking about space and what is it that uh, excites you about that? 
I would actually say that the the level of international engagement in space right now is is one of the reasons why space is a really exciting uh, topic area at the moment is that uh, because of the rise of small satellites, the rise of lower cost launch, uh, you're starting to see a democratization of space. And so more and more countries are, are starting to place a strategic priority on space. And I, I guess to mention a few countries, although I think <laughs> there's a lot of countries doing really interesting things right now, is you have uh, countries like uh, Japan and Luxembourg and the UK and Australia and the United Arab Emirates uh, that are really leaning in on on space and and trying to sort of you know find uh, niches in the market where um, you know players like the US aren't necessarily paying as much of attention um, in order to help grow their uh, space innovation ecosystems and I think it's a really really exciting time. Uh, for the the U.S. to be engaging with this larger ecosystem that's developing around space innovation. That's great. Thank you. Um, Christy, Kevin, a pleasure talking to you both today. Thank you for your time. For our listeners, in case you want to learn more, uh, they both have authored a blog at our blog at iqt.org front slash blog. You can find the link in our show notes. Again, thank you all for listening. Today has been the present context of the space uh, exploration here at IQT. Please check out the rest of our podcasts as they come out in order. This is a three-part series. I'm your host, Vishal Sandesera. We'll catch you next time. <music>